Let's get a check-in on the SEC spring meetings. Uh, some news coming down to, uh, here this afternoon. Talk about that and a lot more. We bring in one of the co-hosts of the show, Mr. Jimmy Himes from Destin, all tanned, I'm sure. Jimmy, how are you? Well, I don't tan, but I'm doing great <laughs> otherwise. Something about the- my skin says you're not getting brown. <laughs> it's just the natural look you got, Jimmy, so... Uh, but uh, you you mentioned it yesterday that you thought that the SEC would revise its conference alcohol policy. They made that determination today, released a statement on it. Your thoughts on the SEC's decision and describe what they have uh, decided on. Not surprised. They have decided that they will allow institutions that want to sell alcoholic beverages at sporting events to do so. Uh, they did put some parameters on it, but they said it's going to be an institution decision. Greg Sankey was asked, in the lieu of West Virginia having done it going back to 2011, as have some other institutions, why it took so long. And he said, basically, we wanted to be careful. And he said that uh, the SEC has led the nation in attendance, and they cherish the traditions that they have. They cherish the numbers of fans that have come to game, and they wanted to proceed with caution. Uh, in terms of this. So that was one reason. He also said it's more of a national trend. Uh, There had been reports that said that it has curtailed some of the binge drinking uh, that you have seen in athletic events where somebody might consume a six-pack before the end of the stadium, and as Sankey said, within 10 or 15 minutes, there's an incident because of this drinking. So uh, they're going in that direction. Uh, UT issued a statement. uh, You you alluded to that, right, that there's support, unsupported this. The one thing that I have been told is that while Tennessee can implement it right away and all schools can start August the 1st, is that Tennessee probably will not be ready for football season uh, but hopes to be ready for basketball season at a smaller venue. They're not sure they can get everything in place in time. Other schools, according to Greg Sankey, have indicated they'll do it immediately. Uh, Other schools will wait, and some schools won't do it at all. He said there was a pretty healthy debate about it. It was not unanimous in terms of going in this direction. Uh, one thing I thought was interesting, Vince, is um, has a couple of people in the media cracked some jokes about it, as you might expect with the media folks. <laughs> uh, thank you. He turned the attention serious. He said, look, he said, I know some of y'all think this is a laughing matter, but there are a lot of people that have been affected by alcoholism in their families, and that's one reason we proceeded with caution. Uh, don't know if he was talking about himself or some others within the league. But that was one of the arguments that some people had, that they uh, they were concerned about it. So I, I thought that was an interesting shift of the mood in the room. Now, one thing uh, to me made clear is schools don't have to do this. They can if they want. The other part is basically uh, when, a, when a, a sporting event is 75% complete, then they can no longer sell alcoholic beverages in these designated areas. For example, after the third quarter in football, after the second 12-minute TV timeout in men's basketball, after the uh, third quarter of a women's basketball game, at the end of the top of the seventh inning in baseball, etc. So they do have designated times in which they will stop serving alcoholic beverages. I asked Greg Sankey about the financial implications, and he basically said some reported that they made six figures off alcohol sales, and others reported it was in the low five figures. Uh, I will tell you this, at LSU, it'll be in the upper six figures, okay? So, anyway, not a shot. I just lived down there for a while. I know. No, uh, no, I know. Anyway, I, 
Yeah, so it, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. So anyway, that's, that was the big news that came out of it. But, uh, again, alcoholic sales available. Now, Tennessee has never sold alcohol at any events that they've had thus far. The legislature recently passed uh, a bill, I guess you would call it a bill, that said they can sell alcohol now at UT at non-sporting events, and that was before the SEC's vote. So Tennessee does plan to sell alcohol at concerts this fall, uh, Monster Jam if it's being held this fall, uh, mm-hmm. a circus if it's held this fall. So they're planning to sell alcoholic uh, beverages. Uh, thank you was asked also at a football game, how do you legislate the students from buying it that are underage? He said that's up to the institution. So, But they're not going to be selling it, in my opinion, the way I see this. It's not going to be like they have 15 stations where you can buy, go buy beer. I envision a select few stations where you can buy beer and they'll be able to uh, have to check IDs to make sure you're of age before you purchase beer. So that's kind of the way I see that working at Neyland State. Well, the non-sporting events that you mentioned, that's where I was going to go. I wonder if the numbers that were were referenced are just from sporting events. Are we talking low six figures just for sporting events, because I think if you're yes, only counting, yes, yes. okay, well, then at the potential revenue is much greater once, if you open that door, then you can start selling it at non-sporting events, and that money starts to, to multiply, doesn't it? Well, it does, and of course, some of that money is going to go to the athletic department, some of that's going to go to the university. If there's right. a concert, it's going to go to the university, probably. Uh, I guess this was sort of funny. Uh, because I didn't know the answer to this. I asked Greg Sankey, I said, uh, is this going to open the door for universities that in the past have not sold alcoholic beverages to concerts or Monster Jams? He said, well, I've never attended a Monster Jam. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I said, what do you mean you've never been to Monster Jam? What kind of commissioner are you? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> he said, he, said, uh, but, but, uh, he didn't really know the answer because he didn't know what all schools did in terms of whether or not they sold alcoholic beverages at concerts and monster jams and other events, non-sporting events. But so basically his answer was, I don't know, but we do know from Tennessee, they have not done it in the past. The door is open now for them to do it. And to your point, yes, the university will make more money uh, and the athletic department at sporting events will make more money. Uh, They, they didn't say, all, they, they list they listed football, men's and women's basketball, baseball, softball, and then it said other sports. Uh, no later than 75% of events regulation. So that's the stipulation that the SEC put on it. And now the schools are in a situation of adopting the policy that they want. And as you mentioned, they had a statement from Tennessee as they're evaluating it. But you know they've been prepared for this. They, they were starting to prepare for this uh, whenever the legislation said they could do it for non-sporting events. So you know that they have they're probably a little bit ahead of the curve in that regard, although I've been led to believe they probably will not be selling alcoholic beverages for football games this fall. It's, you're talking about for UT? At UT, yes, at UT. Yeah. Other schools okay. can – I think other schools are ready. At Florida, they have a, they've had a beer garden, yep. and they felt like it went well, and so I think that I think at Florida they'll probably do it right away. That's my guess. Yeah, Jimmy Himes joining us from the SEC Spring Meetings in Destin. Today is day four, the final day. And uh, last night you got a chance to do the annual seminar on officiating, replay, all those kind of things. What were some of your biggest takeaways from that? 
Well, fascinating. Um, Steve Shaw went over all the different rule changes, and we've talked about those rule changes before. Uh, it doesn't hurt to go over them again just to make sure they stick in the old brain. But uh, one of the things he did that was interesting was he showed about eight different plays of potential targeting. Now, for targeting to be uh, enacted, it has to meet like three different criteria. It has to meet all the criteria. It has to be like the crown of the helmet. It has to be hit above the the, the shoulder pads. Uh, it has to be force, forceful conda, uh, contact and launching. Okay, so it, it's got to fit uh, the three parameters uh, of all of them. So, uh, and the defenseless player can be a part of that too. So he showed the, the these eight plays. Vince, of the 12 media people there, we had a buzzer. It either was or not, or it wasn't targeting. Did it fit all three criteria? Not once was the vote 12 Not once. There was an 11-to-1 vote. The very last one he showed was like a 7-to-5 vote, and I missed that one because I thought it was targeting. He said, no, it wasn't. He said that the blow did not occur above the shoulder pads, but I saw the, the and I think it was quarterback, I saw the quarterback head snap back like whiplash and i'm like well he has to have hit him in the face mask of the helmet it wasn't 100 percent clear but it was it was looked like it and so i thought that it hit, had to have hit him in the helmet in the face mask to snap his head back and the key there is i thought he said no no you can't think you have to see it for sure and i was going based on supposition that your head doesn't snap back like that unless you got hit in the face mask and so i missed that one but there were some seven five votes. There were eight to four votes. And after one of the votes, Dennis Dodd said, well, I don't believe that. That was targeting. So he started arguing with Steve Shaw about it. My point is this. You can get a bunch of people in a room, and they're not going to totally agree on targeting. It's a judgment call. Just like we're not going to always agree on past interference unless it's the Saints and the Rams. But uh, one of the things also that Shaw said, uh, he did a seminar with uh, some sportscasters that call games. He had 14 of them in there. He showed them that last play that I talked about that I missed. The vote was 7-7 on the sportscaster. Seven said targeting, seven said no. He showed that same play to the professional replay officials from the league. The vote was 14-0. 14-0, which tells me they probably have a better idea what they're looking for than I do or a lot of people in the media. But I, I was really fascinated by the difference of opinion from the 12 people in that room about what was or what wasn't targeted. So what are the ramifications of this? Do you think we're going to see a lot fewer targeting calls because of those higher standards? Or how, how does this play out, in your opinion, with these these new criteria? I think that we'll see fewer because I don't think they will all hit the criteria. In fact, Steve Shaw even mentioned as we were watching this, he said um, uh uh, now, last year, that would have been targeting. He's gone. But this year, he gets to stay in the game because it didn't meet all three criteria. So I see less targeting. Something else they've added to it is that if you get three targeting in a series, uh, in a season, I'm sorry, you are suspended for the next game. So they're trying to, to crack down on the behavior of some people. Uh, he also talked about – and one of the things I asked him, I said, you know, you, to Steve Shaw, you commented after the LSU A&M game, I said, to what degree does the criticism reach before you comment? Because a lot of other times you don't comment. Sometimes you do. He said, it's a good question. He said, there's not a, a, a definite answer to that. But 
if it reaches a certain level on social media or with the with the media criticizing it, or a lot of people raising cane with it, he said, then we'll come out with a statement. But he said that there's there's not a definitive answer on when he will respond to it. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting. But uh, he also told us, and then I threw on my reporter hat. But anyway, he's on this one. He said there are eight officials not returning. One's going to the NFL, and the other seven either we did not welcome back or they retired. And so one guy in the media said, well, how many of them did you fire? And Shaw wouldn't answer. So yeah. me, I said, well, how many of them uh, retired? He said, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> so <laughs> I tried to backdoor him. If I could get the number of retiring at two to five were fired, I couldn't get him to fight on that. If the other media in the room hadn't started laughing, maybe he'd answered it. But anyway, I tried to backdoor him on the answer and couldn't get it. But seven are not back either from retiring or being fired. Uh, and and that, his point was this. We hold our officials accountable. Y'all don't always know it, but we hold them accountable. And there are officials sometimes that get suspended, but we don't know it. And he said that they don't – the league doesn't want to kind of um, stain somebody's image by publicly saying we're suspending this guy. Because then people say, oh, we got that guy. He's the guy that got suspended in the LSU A&M game. Or he's the guy that got suspended when he called Vanderbilt in Kentucky. So, uh, and, and one other thing, too, is he said it's harder to find people to be officials, in particular in high school and some of the smaller conferences. Yeah. And they don't want people looking at it as saying, why in the world would I get into that profession if I'm going to get beat up in the media like that? So that, that's one reason they try to be a little bit protective of it. And years ago, uh, there was an official that somebody actually wrote about him missing a call. He got the wrong guy, and then that the wrong guy was getting hate mail and death threats from stupid fans. That was yeah. another reason the SEC decided we need to be a little bit more protective of our officials. Well, and, and that's great that they do think that, but I think it's too late to uh, not want people to you know, think, I don't want any part of officiating because the criticism of officiating has been there for a long time and gets more, uh, you know, more vehement, more passionate each year. So I think, unfortunately, we've already gotten to that stage. And, and Jimmy, you mentioned also about those seven officials that either aren't coming back because they retired or they weren't welcome back. Uh, not only are you a report, a reporter, you're a sometimes skeptical reporter. So you probably looked at it like me that, hmm, if you're going to group retired with not welcome back, then that means there's probably a lot fewer retired than not welcome back if you're going to put those two in one category. Like that, that sounds to me one or two retired and a bunch more weren't welcome back. Did you look at it that way? Well, not only that, but at some point during that session last night, Steve Shaw made the comment that before the season, we had a couple of officials that said that they were going to retire at the end of this year. A couple. So you know what made you know what I thought? Two retired and five were fired. That's what I thought. Yeah. Uh, now a couple could mean to most people it means two. Maybe to Steve Shaw it means three. It to Italians it could be one. it could be two or three. Couple two tree. Couple, two three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. And, and Seashell doesn't speak Italian. So I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, maybe he does. I'm sorry. I shouldn't uh, say that about it. But it, it, so I would say two or three retired and the rest were fired. Uh, and, um, 
But one of the things I asked him, I said, are you having more difficulty getting officials to come into the league because of the criticism? He said it hadn't reached that point with us yet, but he said it, it probably will because they can't get people to call high school games. High school mm-hmm. officials become college officials. College officials in the Southland Conference, the Gulf South Conference, the SWAC, become SEC officials. And he thinks there'll be a trickle-down effect in the years to come in terms of having a shortage of officials to call games. He actually said there were some high school games that were postponed or canceled because they couldn't – and he didn't say, say where. He said because they couldn't get enough officials to call the game. Nobody wanted to call the games because of all the abuse they take. So there were some high school football games that got called off. All right, Jimmy, we'll have a bunch more with you when you join us in the 4 o'clock hour. Who made your trip down to Destin possible? I want to thank uh, Rick McGill, Airport Toyota on the Airport Motor Mile. They've been with us for years. They provide the vehicle that we use to drive down here, a beautiful Sienna this time. Uh, Fleet Tire, you flat them, they'll fix them. And also UT Athletics, they appreciate the loyalty of all the fans. Those are the three sponsors that made this trip possible. Thanks, Jimmy. We'll talk to you at 420. Appreciate you. Thank you, Vince. All right, that is the great Jimmy Himes down in Destin at the SEC Spring Meeting.